0: Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we are looking at the gospel reading for the Feast of Christ the King, or Christ the King Sunday, and our reading is Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 46. This reading continues in a series of parables, which are incredibly challenging. They have to do with judgment, with a separation between those who are welcomed into his kingdom and those who are not included. Like many of Jesus's other parables and teachings, there are a variety of ways to interpret it. And throughout church history, there's been all different reflections on what these actually mean. Of course, some of the interpretations are better than others. One way to approach this reading is about God's future judgment at the end of all things, when, as the Apostles' Creed says, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. But there's another layer to this. That may be true, but a closer reading of this text shows that the judgment Jesus describes somehow happens when the Son of Man comes in his glory, which is one way to describe Christ's resurrection. If this is the case, this is a judgment that isn't just for the future, but it breaks into the here and now. This passage depicts the Son of Man, Jesus, as a shepherd, much like God is depicted in our Ezekiel reading, separating the sheep from the goats. Now, in the Middle East, sheep and goats often graze together, but they do need to be separated at night so that the goats, who are more scrawny, can be kept warm it's often difficult at first glance to tell apart the sheep and the goats. The one difference is that the sheep's tail hangs down and the goats sticks up. This passage offers some incredible challenges to modern hearers today. The first challenge is we don't like to talk about judgment. One of the important affirmations of the Christian faith is that judgment and hope go together but we don't really like that. We would rather focus on hope and quietly sweep the whole judgment bit under the bed. In doing so, though, we often separate judgment from hope. We hope for the world to be made right, but we often forget that in order for something to be put right, the evil and the sin and the brokenness must be dealt with once and for all. Now, there resides in the human heart a longing for justice. We all want justice to be done. On the playground, every child in their formative years at one point cries, that's not fair. But we usually want justice to be done against everyone else. We can't imagine any hope in judgment for ourselves. But that is part of the biblical imagery of the coming of the Son of Man. He will put things right. And that means that he will judge. So that's the first thing. We don't like talking about judgment. But the second reason why this is challenging is we don't like how God judges people in this reading. The king, and notice the king is a shepherd, says to those on his right, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And of course, the inverse is true for those at his left hand. Whatever you did not do for the least of my family, you did not do it to me. Robert Farrar Capon makes a great point that in the context of this shepherd and sheep and goats imagery, notice that God is the God of both the sheep and the goats. So somehow in this context, both are his, both sheep and goats. The kingdom has always been in our midst. This final judgment represents a revealing of what already is, which is what tr- judgment really means. It means a revealing of what exists so that it can be healed. For at least these two, these two reasons, for at least the fact that we don't like judgment and we don't like how God judges in this reading, this passage is really difficult for us. Christians are faithful to affirm our future salvation is not based on works. It's not moral achievement that gets us into the kingdom of God. But Jesus sure makes it sound like how we act, how we behave towards others has something to say about our place in the kingdom. So is it true that with the last parable of his earthly life, he jumps back into works based salvation? Is he saying, hey, you guys get over your goatiness and be sheep, work harder at being sheepy. Because that's really what it sounds like here. But that's not the whole story. The Christian story is not one of works righteousness, at least not in that way. Remember, Jesus is our savior, not just our moral example. So without the full picture of the life of Jesus, this passage can easily devolve into he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. No, that's Santa Claus, right? Upon closer inspection, we notice something about the reading. The sheep were surprised that they were sheep. (laughs) We do not get this sense that they had been sitting with this for a long time, keeping score, racking up morality in order for God to ultimately accept them. No, the righteous respond, wait, when did we do this? They're surprised. The sheep are blissfully ignorant that they had done good deeds for the shepherd. Jesus says, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. They were simply living as the people of God, captured by God's holiness, by God's grace, and it led them to live out these identifying markers of care for the least. This is not about earning morality points with God. This is about Jesus telling the world what his kingdom looks like. It looks like surprise. Those who belong to him will live out radical generosity for the other as if they were doing it for Jesus himself. Notice it's the goats who are the ones actually keeping score. The scripture doesn't say that the goats never did any good deeds. In fact, it implies that they did do good deeds. It says they feel justified in thinking they've done enough. So they're like, wait, when did we see you hungry? We know that's what we're supposed to do. If you're around and you're hungry, we're supposed to feed you. But when did we see you hungry? I thought I already did what I was supposed to do. We clothed the naked. We fed the hungry. When did we, when did we not do this for you? The goats are actually dependent on their good deeds. The sheep, by contrast, are simply so in love with the shepherd they're surprised to hear they even did anything good at all. And notice what the shepherd says to the sheep. Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Notice the word is inherit. It's not a reward. This is not a reward for good deeds done, good services rendered. No, it has been theirs from the foundation of the world. On the other side, the place where the goats are sent is not a place prepared for them. The reading says it was prepared for the devil and the angels. The goats were supposed to be in the kingdom. The goats get themselves where they're going by stubbornly insisting that they have earned what can only be inherited. This leads us to yet a third challenge. Remember, first of all, we don't like the idea of judgment. Second of all, we don't like how God seems to judge in this passage. And then third, we don't like the idea that physical things really matter. It is possible to ignore the uncomfortable parts of this passage. It is possible to almost ignore the passage altogether and to say something in the neighborhood of the Christian faith isn't all about good works. It's all about relationship with God but we can't ignore the fact that Jesus illustrates and defines his kingdom and his sheep as those who care for the real needs of the least of these. This means that real hunger, real thirst, real nakedness, and real alienation, real imprisonment, they matter. They're not just abstractions or illustrations. God is present in the midst of human need. And as we look to the Christian faith, these are not pull yourself up by your your own moral bootstraps commandments. This is not Jesus saying, you better care for the least of these. But these are ways for us to see what the kingdom of God looks like and to participate in the kingdom which is already in our midst. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch dot com and find out more at the substack dot com.